Hey there, it's your old pal Hanky here. Thank you for tuning into the first episode, and I just want to give you a friendly warning. I've tried to keep it PG-13, but you might hear some blue language. You've been warned. I'd like to thank you all for listening. Uh, This is my first effort at a podcast. This is James Henderson of Tempest Fujit Media, also known as Hanky. And um, this is something I've been wanting to do for a long time, and I finally bit the bullet, and here we go. This is my new podcast. It's called Hanky Time. want to be very clear, if you are looking for a warm, fuzzy, happy, wonderful, this is the greatest event, these are the coolest influencers, this, is, this watch is the shit that killed Elvis, and by the way, I'm getting all of this wonderful fan mail, and I'm great. And this watch is great, and just basically hyperbole in general, you've definitely tuned into the wrong podcast. If, on the other hand, you want um, some honest opinions, some honest feedback, and more importantly, some inside baseball on an industry that you either work in or that you find interesting, then I hope that this is going to be for you. And I look forward to sharing um, anecdotes and some some reality that sometimes gets glossed over. But more than that, we're going to have a lot of interesting interviews. I've already lined up several people from the industry who are very keen to hold forth in an unfiltered manner. It will be, I think, a good opportunity for all of us to to hear about what they're doing, what motivates them, and why they're doing it. And it should be good. So hang on and we'll be getting back to it really, really soon. Thanks. Basel world. Basel world can bring out the best and the worst of everybody in the industry. It's the one time of the year where we are all thrown together in close proximity. We're stuck with each other like kids at a summer camp. Uh, Too much food, too much alcohol, definitely too much coffee, not nearly enough sleep, and uh, kind of a forced kinship that we all go through. And it's one of those events that we all look forward to, even even the crustiest old fart who covers watches will tell you that yes, you know, begrudgingly, they do enjoy the event, they do enjoy going. But having said that, uh, I thought, you know, it might be kind of fun to share with you um, a couple of Baselworld anecdotes. And um, before we even get into that, I wanna share with you what I have decided uh, to know and name the language of Baselworld. So sit tight, we're gonna get to it. And so onto the unspoken language of Baselworld. Baselworld is one of these unique events because truthfully, although English might be the lingua franca, for the most part, um, you've got people coming in from all over the world. You've got PR people who are scrambling, trying to match names to faces of people that they probably met 50 times before. But in fairness, you know, people that they only see once a year and most of their communication is via email. And most of that communication beyond that, in fact, is usually just an email blast that's going out to everybody. 
Um, so obviously for the influencer, blogger, journalist, um, overinflated egomaniac who's writing about watches, uh, podcasting, what have you, um, it's the one time where you feel very, very important, probably until you realize that the person who's greeting you at the front door of the booth has no idea really who you are until you give them their card, your card again, excuse me. So piece that together with a few other realities about Basel World. It's the one time of year where you basically have to make it happen. Um, there are a few things that go on behind the scenes that I don't think most watch fans really know or more importantly, really understand. So let's go back a few steps and think about the setup. Basel World, as I said, it comes once a year, at least right now. Um, and when it comes, it's something that people have been planning on for quite some time. It's not a quick little exercise. It typically lasts a week. It used to last a week and a couple of days. Then with attendance continuing to drop, the powers that be decided let's knock it down by a day. And now, in fact, it's two days less than it used to be. In addition, it used to be pretty much a requirement. If you had a watch brand and if you were in the business, um, you had to have a booth there. If you didn't have a booth there, basically, you know, you might as well be in Siberia because no one's going to see or hear from your brand again. That at least was the popular thought. Going back maybe about three years, a few things started changing. And chief among those was that a lot of brands actually started to throttle back on the efforts that they put in. Now, for most of us who go and cover this stuff on a regular basis, we can basically tell you the health of a brand based on how much stuff they're giving out as swag during Basel World, how many nice dinners they're throwing, and really what the quality of the swag is. Now, I know that that sounds really kind of uh, cheesy, and um, kind of sad, but that's the truth. You know, when you go from one year that you get a cashmere scarf to the next year that you get, you know, a cheap little keychain to the next year where you get a firm handshake, it basically tells you that the economic realities are starting to set in. Um, and in fairness to everyone in the watch industry, I think that's been a hard lesson for a lot of folks to learn. Um, parent companies have been turning off the taps in terms of money that they're just going to keep dumping into a brand. A few brands have gone under, some have been resurrected, but on much leaner budgets. And so Basel World, while still important and still a lot of fun and definitely worth attending, it is not the glamorous escapade that it used to be. Having said that, <laughs> there have been some other interesting things that have developed. And I, I think chief among those is that Basel World has become more and more kind of the sell-by date, not just for CEOs, but also for sales managers, for, for senior people. It's It used to be that you'd get fired um, ideally. It's a terrible thing to say because there's never an ideal time to be let go, but that would happen, let's say, sometime right around the Christmas holiday. Now, particularly if you were a CEO, it made sense because it's a slow news cycle. With luck, it's not going to be picked up or covered by too many people. It gives you enough time to kind of transition. Who are you going to transition? And you get ready for the shows that come up, you know, and Basel World, again, is chief among those. So it has become more and more a bit of a pressure cooker. And the pressure that's coming on used to strictly be about can you make the sales? More and more now, it's not just about making the sales. It's about can you get enough journalists to come in to cover your product? Are the ones coming in to cover your product willing to really cover your product? 
are you going to be able to strike deals with these folks for coverage that they're going to follow through with and more importantly that are going to benefit you it's a lot to juggle um, so having said all of those things then let's think about the type of language that you're going to hear which is we're kind of finally getting back to the point of the whole thing um, because not everybody speaks English as a first language, they're not necessarily always familiar with the nuance of what a given statement or phrase really carries over when it is said to and received by someone who maybe does speak that language uh, as a native. So here are a few ones, and this is kind of a cheat sheet that I put together a few years ago. Um, and we're going to start with the brand manager and when the brand manager is speaking to a retail partner. And very often, you know, it's going to be warm and fuzzy. It's going to say, so nice to see you, my friend. I hope business is going well. That sounds really warm and fuzzy and like I really care. But, you know, the translation of that, really, the brand manager speaking to the retail money is essentially where the hell's my money? And why are you never in when I call? And why are you not returning my calls? And I've sent my sales agent out there to do a safe count. And it's very clear that you've sold about half of the inventory that we sent over to you on memo. And yet you still haven't paid me. And yet I noticed from your Facebook and your Instagram that you got a brand new Porsche. And when the hell are you going to pay me? Okay, so, you know, that will lead to a few awkward moments, which, you know, unfortunately, that's the stuff that's not said <laughs> because ultimately... The brand manager has to answer to someone further up the food chain and the person further up the food chain is going to say something to the effect of, well, you know, retailer X, they're a great client. We've been with them for years and years and years and years. And it's really important that we're in that market space and we get a lot of great exposure. Now, I'm a little old fashioned, but, you know, at Torno, our feeling was essentially that a good customer is someone who paid. And just as if you're the retailer, I don't think you're necessarily going to let that um, you're not going to let that Rolex walk out the door without paying for it. Put yourself in the position of the brand manager who essentially is vouching for you on a very often a daily basis. And, you know, for the retailers who don't really take this to heart or don't really understand it, let me put it a little more succinctly. On a daily basis, there is a conversation going on at headquarters as to whether or not they should keep your account open. They will weigh the pros and the cons. Is it worth keeping you in that product? In other words, should we continue to ship you product that you aren't paying for, that you may or may not be selling, and we're continuing to pay for co-op advertising, and you're not paying your bill? And in fact, we know you're paying your bill to other people because guess what? We all talk. And is it really worth it for us to keep moving forward in this way? Okay, so that's a little bit of the unspoken language that the brand manager is carrying around with him. But then in fairness, sometimes the retail partner is getting, sorry, but you know other way to say it, they're getting hosed by the brand manager or the powers that be over in Switzerland, Germany, Japan, what have you. And so here we have the retail partner speaking to the brand manager. So, so good to see you, my friend. I can't wait to hear about your marketing, your advertising plans for this year. What kind of promotions do we have going on? Are we going to do any get-togethers? Are we going to do any events? Here's the translation. I bought over $50,000 worth of product from you in the last two months. You promised co-op advertising. You promised to support me. You promised that you were going to come out for this PR marketing junket that we're talking about. 
where the insert expletive is it? When is it going to happen? When are you going to support us? So, you know, again, in truth, it can kind of go both ways. But this is kind of the hierarchy of the watch business, that if you are a mom and pop that pays their bills, but you're not ordering, let's say, several hundred thousand dollars worth of merchandise, suddenly you're not that important. And you should be. That's not the way the business is supposed to run. But unfortunately, um, people who make these marketing decisions very often are thinking in terms of volume, not necessarily in terms of results. So, again, the use of my friend is very euphemistic. There is very little friendship going on, um, and that's just the way we find ourselves from time to time. But then kind of where it hits me most often, more often than not, is, you know, I am the writer blogger, um, and I meet the brand manager who can barely remember me from Adam. And the comment is, this is our good friend who writes so many things about us. Translation of that one. We are not now or for the foreseeable future or, frankly, ever going to advertise with you. I hope this bag of tchotchkes will keep you happy, but otherwise, don't touch anything. Leave now, please. Thank you. So it's a reality that the majority of people who write about watches don't do it for money as much as they'd like to. And despite what you might be thinking out there, the majority of people that you're going to run into at Basel World, they're self-funding and they're hoping that this is the year. This is the year that I'm going to break through. This is the year that I'm actually going to get some advertising money from these brands. This is the year that it's all going to happen and it's going to be happily ever after and I can finally quit my day job and everything's going to be wonderful. Now, of course, the reality is that that, in fact, is not the case. You are not going to pick up any advertising. If you're lucky, you might get slipped a free watch. You're going to get uh, like your five millionth cup of Nespresso of the day. You might get um, some type of swag item and certainly a promise of, oh, we're certainly going to look into it. Absolutely. We're going to look into it. We really value your coverage. Absolutely. You're a good friend of the brand. Well, truthfully, no, you're not. You are basically one of 5,000 people who reach out to that brand every year who they may or may not care about. And, you know, Keep in mind, too, it's not personal. They really don't have a personal opinion one way or the other because it's business. And in fairness to them, they have to make a decision based on their business and what they think is going to bring the most value for the money that they're sinking in. So having said all of those things, let's say that that's the backdrop. Okay, so we have the backdrop and we, we get a sense that it's a stressful time. Uh, and sometimes that stress actually can bubble over. And sometimes it does happen that uh, we have these out-of-body experiences where the things that we're thinking become the things that have been said. And I'm going to call this next little vignette Ode to the Tin Man. So those of us are familiar with um, American culture, certainly probably even international culture, we were all familiar with The Wizard of Oz. And the um, three characters that Dorothy met along the way, the cowardly lion, all he needed was the nerve. And obviously the scarecrow, all he needed was a brain. And then last but not least, the tin man. All he needed was a heart. Well... It was kind of an odd Basel world a couple of years back. I was walking around Hall 2, and it was day three of the fair. By day three, you pretty much know whether you've made it or not because the order's been coming in. You've been having appointments. You've been having meetings. 
And at this point, you, you kind of know it's pretty much like that that barium meal that you ate, and it's already worked its way through the body. And you know, one way or the other, you know, are you are you going to cover the even cover the expenses of attending the fair? Are you going to write enough orders that you're looking good at least up until let's say September October when you're going to be hopefully writing orders for Christmas, or are you screwed? And this is kind of one of those funny times where let's say emotions overtake our common sense and we become a little more irrational. And if you think it's reserved to um, just fly by night companies or to out of control bloggers or journalists or influencers, I'm here to tell you that at the highest level, you will see very senior members of the company being frog marched out of the booth in the middle of the day in front of God and everybody uh, and essentially being told that they're going to hear something from the HR office by long distance call shortly, but they are no longer welcome in the booth. Probably the funniest and yet saddest one that I ever heard was um, a brand manager that I knew, you know, let's say I knew him. I wouldn't say that I knew him pretty well, but it's it's the middle of the fair. And the good news is, at least in this particular moment, he didn't lose his job. But I think he definitely did um, lose a lot of respect that he might have had for his boss prior to that. Essentially, I don't know all of the ins and the outs. I can just tell you that the conversation was not a conversation at all. It was an upbraiding. And a man who I knew a little bit as his boss um, really, unfortunately, showed a side of his personality that has now made it pretty much impossible for him to work in the industry again. Um, he was shortly let go, and he has not been seen or heard from since, at least anybody that I know of. But the commentary went something like this, and these were Americans and the brand managers screaming at him, and I'm going to do my best to replicate He's like, look at you. Look at you. You know who you are? You know who you are? You're the damn tin man. The damn tin man. And you know, the sales rep kind of looked at him. I was like, the tin man? What, what do you mean the tin man? You got no heart. That's what I mean. You got no damn heart. You're just like the fucking tin man. Well, you know, that's kind of a tough thing to take, and especially because it was 11.30 a.m., and they were out in front of the booth, and several of their appointments uh, just kind of stood stunned watching this exchange take place. Uh, true story, it did take place, and it was a very good example of how not to handle a stressful situation, but more importantly, how easy it is to lose touch of reality and what's going on, because you are stuck in that convention space all day, and for all intents and purposes, all night. You don't get any fresh air, World events might be happening outside the doors, but you would have no idea about that because, you know, it's a little bit like being stuck in a casino. You know, you have no idea is it day or night um, what's really happening. You're stuck there. And it was a good reminder to me of the things that I didn't necessarily miss about being a brand rep. Because, again, if you're the brand rep, you're going to see your boss or more importantly, people from headquarters maybe once, maybe twice a year. And, you know, you look forward to it and you think it's going to be great. And then you have some experiences that remind you that, you know what, this is not um, a relationship of friends. And nine times out of 10, in fact, I'll I'll go further. I'll say nine, nine times out of 100, it is not considered to be a meeting of equals, at least not by your employer. And I guess maybe 
that's a universal thing. Um, but for those of you who often sit there and think, man, I, I, I wish I was the brand manager. I wish, I wish I was the North American vice president of brand X. No, you don't. <laughs> you think that you might. Um, but truthfully, there's a reason why there's a very high turnover rate in our industry, um, as with some other industries. And, you know, I think a chief part of it is that number one, it is very results in very results driven, which is fair enough. But more importantly, um, very often you are not necessarily being managed by someone who has a whole lot of management experience or much in the way of management skills. And that, I want to be very clear to anybody listening who might be taking offense. No, chances are good. I'm not talking about you personally. <laughs> but secondarily, let's think about how you came to be in the position that you're in. The watch industry is pretty unique in that the majority of people running these brands, and I'm not talking about people who were born into it like Mr. Stern, but by and large, most of the other folks, they were in sales, okay? To be good at sales does not necessarily mean that you've got great people skills. It just means that nine times out of 10, you're a good manipulator of people. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, you need sales. Without sales, you're not going to have a brand. But having said that, nine times out of 10, you are really not good at managing people. You are not good at managing expectations. And ironically enough, in a lot of these instances, you are not good at communicating to people who report up to you in a constructive way. And I want to be very clear, that's kind of a universal truism that you're going to see across a lot of industries. But the watch industry is uh, particularly packed out with that type of person. So keeping all of these things in mind when we're talking about um, you know, the watch industry, the people who populate it, and why is there such a monumentally high turnover at the top end, particularly? Um, there's a reason. And the reason is that very often you have kind of two types of people. You have someone who is very good at sales, um, which is wonderful, but then they don't really understand all of the ancillary things that go into making that brand run. Or you have a bean counter. You have someone who's got an MBA they maybe worked um, at a, in a different industry. Again, there's nothing wrong with that, but they don't really understand um, the passion that drives a lot of the consumption of this particular product. It's not like making toothpaste, which is something that everybody needs. It's a much more esoteric type of communication that has to go on in a way that's going to be meaningful to the people who are going to be spending ridiculous amounts of money for something that if we're very honest, they don't really need. So that's our backdrop. Um, that's what we're looking forward to in Basel. And obviously we're hoping that like every other year that this is going to be the year for the brands, you know, especially the ones who are moving back into hall one after uh, hiatuses of 10 to 15 years. They're kind of hoping that this is their time, that this is their chance. They've made it through the worst of the storms, and now they're back and they're ready, and they're ready to be a big boy brand. And then again, for a lot of the retailers who are going to be coming back, they're hoping that maybe this is the year that they're going to find that one special brand. Um, you know, whether or not that's going to be the case, time is going to tell. And 
if I'm very honest, and I think if anybody who reports on this stuff is very honest, there is no magic formula. It would be really nice to say that if we have a watch that's 40 millimeters wide, and if it's made of stainless steel and it's got a black dial and an edit movement, it's going to sell like hotcakes and we can all retire. But I think at this point, we all know that that's not the case. If it were as simple as all that, um, the business would be a lot healthier than it is right now. Then, you know, that last group who's coming through is the distributor. And the distributor, if they are truly independent, they are not thinking necessarily about the brands that they're representing right now. They're thinking about who's next. And for some distributors, I want to be very clear, not all, and there's some very wonderful people out there in the distribution business, but for some of them, it is not unlike um, some of the people who prowl around the the bus station in New York at the Port Authority <laughs> looking for that vulnerable person who's just hopping off the bus um, because that brand maybe is going to be amenable to giving them a ridiculous deal that they probably never should have in the first place. They're going to give them hundreds of thousands of dollars at watches of watches without any type of cash changing hands with the hope that this wonderful, amazing distributor is going to solve all their problems. What they don't know is that that distributor probably has already done the mental math. They've already sized up this brand. They already know that probably they're not going to make it, but in fact, they might be able to flip a large amount of money on the gray market and basically make, rather than make their um, 33%, they're still going to make 20%, but because they're doing it in volume, they're going to be covered. And more importantly, they've made some money on the deal and then they're ready to move on to the next fish. That is all too often what's happening. That is why we see things, um, we see so many well-known brands who are flogging their products on the gray market for pennies on the dollar. And, you know, for the brands who say, well, I have no idea. How did my, how did our watches wind up there? Sure you do. <laughs> it's, it's not a big mystery and it's, it's certainly a known thing. And very often those are the realities of uh, the Basel world speed date that didn't necessarily go well. So, you know, we're, we're now a couple of weeks away. Everybody's getting ready. They're, you know, they're getting their dry cleaning done. They're trying to get set and hopefully it's going to be a good fair. And we'll be following up with you from there, letting you know how it all goes, trying to give you a little bit more inside baseball. I thank you for taking the time to spend with me today and uh, we'll be in touch. Till then, Tempest Fujit.